guys, it's June 3rd, 2020, and this is my weekly podcast, This Is Life Unfiltered. There's no intro music or outro music to this episode, and I want all of the conversations surrounding the next weeks to be a part of not only Black Lives Matters, but voting, but changing the world by using your voice, by peacefully protesting. And so I've decided to tailor everything that I'm doing to be about that, to bring awareness to more black activists, to the young people out there who are using their platforms to help create the conversation, not only by donating, but by speaking, but by sharing their experiences, by talking out about racial injustice. And that's why I've decided to post that. And on Sunday, I had a really a great response from a video that I posted relating to my opinion on Black Lives Matters. And yesterday I went to the protest in LA and it was incredible. And today I've got an incredible activist who is a 20-year-old rising junior at MIT named Danielle Geithers. And she is black and she is a huge inspiration to myself. What a role model for so many young people, uh, but also hopefully to you. So I've got her on the podcast, but I want to talk a little bit before we get into that about uh, the protest that I went to and the video that I posted. Eh. And I want to I want to say that the reason that I've decided to continue to pro to not continue to protest, I mean that too, but continue to post is because there's so much that I can do and say right now that will help you guys, whether that's creating lists of places and businesses that you can be donating to, whether that's talking about how to peacefully protest, whether that is talking about black activists who are out there. And so for me to go silent, I don't feel like I need to go silent when I can elevate the voices out there who will be the center of attention for everything that I'm doing. So I want to make sure that that's really clear to you guys. I don't plan to be posting anything else besides Black Lives Matters and about this entire conversation surrounding racial injustice up until this ends. And if that's not what you want to hear, then find someone else to follow. But this is what I'm doing for now. So before I bring Danielle into the podcast, yesterday I went to a peaceful protest in Los Angeles. To be honest, it got a little bit bad after curfew. Uh, I was out on the streets way too late and it became a little bit violent. There was a lot of looters. Uh, It was a little bit scary. I am in my fearless pursuit. I don't really get that scared anymore of like things in general. Uh, I went to obviously all of the women's rights movements and the marches and the protests. Uh, Those didn't really ever have any rioting involved. But yesterday was something different and I was incredibly honored and impressed and uh, just speechless at the fact that everyone came together, so many different races, and protested for what needs to be changed. And that is the fact that this has been happening for decades and centuries, and this is not the beginning. And whether it's because everyone is home, whether it's the anger surrounding COVID, and uh, that so many people lost their jobs, that now people are paying attention, but everyone is paying attention and That's what I want all of you guys to realize is that now people are paying attention and now is when you finally can speak your truth uh, and you can finally help because there's now resources out there that maybe you weren't aware of before. So Danielle is here and she is going to give some personal feedback. And I wanted to talk with her, especially about something that I'm really curious about, which is actually the music side of of the Black Lives Matters movement. And that's a little bit different and it's a different topic of conversation. But for me, coming from a white person's perspective, I love rap music and I listen to a lot of rap music. And obviously rap music is filled with like the N-word and uh, other terms and stuff that are not appropriate for white people to be 
talking about. So Danielle is going to talk about that. I've got lives coming up every single day on social media. So that'll be starting at 12, all with black activists and friends of mine. And I encourage you to join in on the conversation. I encourage you to ask questions. It is okay to be confused. If you are not black right now and you do not understand things, that is okay. But what I can tell you is that you have to try and understand things. And if you are not trying, then you are losing out on the history that is happening. And you are, there's a million helicopters above my apartment, which just goes on every single night. So disregard those, please. Uh, But you are losing out on the possibility that you have as a young person or whoever is listening to this podcast right now to change the world. So I'm really excited today because I have Danielle Gethers on the podcast and she is 20 years old and she's the first black woman to serve in MIT 159 year history. She's amazing. She's a rising junior mechanical engineering major and she's been elected to the 20 to 2021 undergrad association as the president. Uh, So Danielle, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I want to talk to you about what's going on in the world and how people can get involved, but I want you to take us through your experience up until now, not only being Black, but how you have begun to change the world with your interest in STEM. Well, I started going to predominantly white schools, actually, so um, I kind of had this experience of being the only Black female um, in most of my high school classes, um, elementary, middle school, and high school classes, actually. Um, So I think coming from that perspective of kind of always feeling like the other, um, but at the same time, I had amazing friends. um, And for the most part, it was a good experience. But I think I kind of always had in the back of my back of my mind, the kind of racial state of America and kind of how it affected me personally. so I think um, I'm a pretty proactive person, so I kind of always wanted to change, um, was really the one who was always um, standing up for things, and if someone said something that was wrong, I wasn't really afraid to correct them. Um, so I actually founded the Black Student Union at my high school. Um, it was a small community of Black students, but I thought we should have a place where we could all get together um, and talk about the different challenges we face going to a predominantly white private high school. Um, and then from there, Um, I went to MIT and I was really excited because I thought college was the main place for activism. Um, So I was excited to join an established Black Student Union that had been around longer um, and kind of hang out with older kids who are passionate about activism. Um, So I got on campus, was really involved with the Black Student Union, Black Women's Alliance, um, a couple other clubs on campus. I actually played soccer my freshman year as well and was the only Black female on the team. Um, So I kind of had that experience of being surrounded by people who looked like me. Um, within the Black Student Union who were all fighting for things, and then also having the experience of being on a predominant or an all-white except for me team. Um, so I was able to balance those experiences and kind of leverage the benefits of both. Um, and then my sophomore year, I was chosen to be the officer on diversity for our student government. Um, so I was really able to delve into the problems at MIT, um, how we could drive solutions forward. Um, and so that's what really... Um, convinced me to run for president. I saw a lot of areas for impact, especially within the realm of bringing diversity to the center point of our focus. You have been recognized as a Coca-Cola scholar, a Foot Locker scholar, a national AP scholar. So to, to say that you are smart is is an, under, is an underestimate. You're obviously a genius. So congrats on that. And for being 20, that's a really 
quite impressive. But, you know, I think so much of what's going on in the world right now, this is not the first time that these incidents have occurred, that racism has started. And I think that so many people now are taking note of it because of the severity of what's been happening, especially with cops and their abuse of power. But growing up, can you dive into some of the perhaps exact ways that you felt like you might have been uh, you know, racially profiled or certain things even when you were in school and when you were in high school that were different than the other kids around you. And if you didn't have any experiences, then that's great. But I think it's really great for people to know and be aware of the fact that this has been happening for a long time and it didn't just start now. No, yeah, definitely. Um, so I think that it's, it's honestly interesting because I think when a lot of people think about racism, they think about overt hate, right? So we all see that like triangle going around where it's the line and then above the line is a bunch of ways of overt hate and then below the line is covert hate. But I think it's a little more complex than that. Um, kind of when you are a black person in a predominantly white space, especially at a school, um, when you're spending like eight hours a day at a place and I was like probably playing sports or doing an after school program so probably more like you know, 10 hours in a space every single day and if no one looks like you it's honestly going to be a continual thing and it's not always over like for instance one thing I would say was growing up a big issue I had um, in terms of my own self-love was surrounded by my hair because um, all of my friends had like long flowy hair um, and they'd be like, oh, like, why is your hair like that? And there used to be a thing where, when I'd walk around, like, people would, like, go and, like, fluff my hair and, like, touch my hair. And so I really wanted a perm. And I begged my mom for a perm just because I wanted the kids to stop, like, looking at me like I was some animal and, like, touching my hair. Um, so I think that's also an example. It's not always, like, oh, um, somebody's calling you the N-word, which actually did happen at my school. But I think it's more the everyday things that kind of constantly remind you that you're different. Um, something else that happened was one time me and my friends were playing this is like third grade and this girl had this cone over her head so she couldn't like see well and um, so all my friends were like saying we were different people just like a silly kids game to confuse her and then I said oh I'm like my other friend and she's like oh no Danielle like I can see your color like I can see faces but like you're black you're not blah blah so just something like that like it's just like little childhood like innocent games that you think everyone should be should be able to enjoy um you don't get to experience that. Um, so I think there's just honestly so many things versus hair versus, oh, look, I tanned, I'm darker than you, or just like a bunch of other tiny microaggressions that really start to like deteriorate your own self-esteem. And also you kind of start to feel like you're crazy. Like, who am I to be this different? Why does everyone look at me different? What could I do just to fit in? And I think that's a game a lot of people play. And honestly, at the end of the day, you can't because in this country, race is so established and everyone is ingrained um, to kind of value it in terms of like priorities. And it's at the top of a lot of people's mind um, in terms of like more overt forms. Um, definitely a lot of things like, oh, you only got into MIT because of affirmative action. You're so lucky. Um, or things like that. I also was definitely called the N-word when I was um, in elementary school. Um, by these older kids who are supposed to be um, watching me and take me to class. Um, so I think there's a wide variety of things, but yeah. I, I appreciate you getting so deep into that. And parts of me think of it, and obviously in no way 
can I compare in any capacity because I'm white, but there's certain mm -hmm. aspects of even being in high school and being bullied. And I think that the severity of being of color and being bullied in those ways compared to if you were white and it was just a kid was dressing weird and they were white, but they, that's white privilege compared to if you were perhaps black and dressing uh, weird, the severity of that bullying could be a lot deeper. And the thing about so many young people is all of us, many of us are very scared to speak up. And I remember when I was in high school, I really dealt with uh, kind of the trauma surrounding like being bullied and not wanting to talk about it. But you had a really great point, which was about music. Uh, and I've been doing these weekly Instagram lives. And on Thursday, I'm interviewing a friend of mine who's a musician and an artist. And I would love to know your feedback on that because I was doing a, a different live yesterday. And I was kind of thinking about how music has led so much, so many people to follow their dreams and feel inspired. But there are so many rappers who frequently use the N word in music that also white people and, and everyone listens to. Uh, and there's also, also white and black rappers who perhaps say something in music that's demeaning to women, but really using that N word as a form of speech in their music. But how do you feel that that is either positive or negative for people who are white and listening? And then now the concept of if they go to a party, should they ever have sung along to that? Like, should they be angry at themselves if they sung along to that music that was performed by a black person with those words in it, but it's really great music. Right. Um, yeah, so honestly, this is a big thing at my high school as well. Um, a lot of people felt like they should be entitled to say it just because somebody else said it. Um, something that I do think is like a really good parallel, um, Ta-Nehisi Coates kind of talks about the idea of context, right? So you wouldn't call your dad, most people wouldn't call their dad like Jeff or whatever, they would call them dad or else their dad would get mad at them. Um, little things like that, like I think growing up, I never said a curse word in front of my mom, like, and so that wasn't hard for me to filter out. And I'm not saying, like, that people should really be comfortable saying the N-word alone in their homes, but I also think this idea of censoring based on a race word is so bad and so unfair, um, when I feel like we all censor ourselves all the time based on, like, who we are and where we are. Um, so that argument has always kind of confused me. I also think from the... Um, perspective of a lot of um rappers they're singing what people say in their community so i think part of it as well as being authentic um part of it is known as reclaiming the word um so i know a lot of people have perspectives um from that way um my main perspective is that um if you consider yourself part of the majority um it's kind of part of acknowledging your privilege um, that you don't get to say that word and that you shouldn't say that word. I think there are so many things that um, Black people deal with on the other way in terms of also censoring ourselves at any point mm -hmm. all the time during the day, code switching that I think just not saying the word is always a good decision. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and do you think that that's something now as people go back to college and high school in the fall that they should actively be thinking about at parties? Like, is there now more of a sensitivity for a white person compared, you know, to say that to a black person, even if it's in the context of music and just singing along to a song? Uh, like now because of the yeah. riots? Yeah, compared to say six months ago, or not even the riots, just the entire movement and what's happened over the past four months that was not as talked about two months ago. Yeah, I guess for me, Trayvon Martin's killing was pretty big um, in 2012. Um, as well. So I do see this more of a cyclical pattern. I think if anybody said that in my high school, I was definitely correcting them. And I think 
college, at least at MIT, people tend to be better at that. But yeah, I would say um, given the racial tension, most people should, or everyone should honestly not say the word and be vigilant. Um, and I think it's also just like, you also shouldn't say it at home when you're alone because then you're getting in a bad habit and you're most likely to mess up in public as well. Um, so I think definitely be vigilant. Um, I think it'll be interesting, especially with COVID-19, honestly, we might not have parties for a while anyway. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I can't imagine, especially for you. I mean, are you finishing school online? Yeah, we finished up actually. So my last week of classes, my last final, I think was May 19th or something. And were, were all of those brought to Zoom calls or Skype? Yeah, we had most classes on Zoom where people would upload it, um, upload the videos online. And then our finals, um, they just sent it out. We'd print it out. And then we were like on a Zoom call so they could watch us. I would love to dive into that on a different topic, a little bit lighter than the mm -hmm. current topic surrounding race. There's a lot of young people who had their entire schools, yourself included, kind of uprooted and having to move out online and not being able to graduate. Any advice for them on how to stay strong, even if they missed out on those key things that they were looking forward to? Yeah, <laughs> that is definitely rough. I think part of it is kind of a lot of people don't like to acknowledge like grieving for missed opportunities but I think that's important and I think a lot of our society teaches us to keep on moving ignore things that are bad um, but I think that'll probably just affect you later on um, so I think it's like it sounds crazy like oh I'm like sad because I missed my graduation like some people try to be extreme and say well other people have worse things but I think that comparison game is horrible I think that it's important to first acknowledge that you miss the moment that's very important to you and tends to be a big um, important event in many people's lives. So I think the first step is grieving. The second step is definitely self-care. Um, someone said to me, it's honestly really radical to give yourself self-care. And I know there's a lot of things about face masks and like drinking tea and that's become mainstream. But I think in terms of like deeper self-care and truly reflecting on your own mental state and really gauging your emotions um, is really important and trying to do what's best for you um, in every moment is very important as well. Um, so I don't just say grieve, self-care, and then also talk to your friends. I mean, it's really sad to be in quarantine alone, but I think if you're able to, we have a great um, electronics now, so you can do Zoom, Netflix, or Netflix party, you can talk Zoom, FaceTime, so I think it's really important to surround yourself with friends and family just to get through this rough time. Yeah, how have you personally taken care of your mental health? Yeah, so that's honestly something I'm working on. I think it's always something you can get better at. Um, I honestly have a therapist who um, talks to me because um, he's it's really important that you have you're able to vocalize your um, experiences to other people because I think we all like to get down on ourselves um, so for instance I think I was like talking about how overwhelmed I felt and I named like five things and none of them had to do with the pandemic and he's like yeah we're also in a pandemic so maybe you should cut yourself some slack from that perspective um, so I think for me I also um, in college especially being being in Boston when I'm from Miami, Florida, um, I don't tend to work out because I hate gyms. I like to work out outside um, and I hate doing that in Boston, but um, I was home. So I started going for runs. Um, and then before I used to competitively play soccer. So anytime I went for a run, it was kind of like pushing myself in terms of condition. So now I really like to go for like slower runs, kind of enjoying it, um, reading books. I did a vision board, like I cut out magazines. That was really fun. 
And I also, I'm working now, but I try to wake up and drink a chai tea latte and give myself like 30 minutes to de- like decompress or prepare for work. So I think that's really important as well. Ah, I love that. Even the simplest thing, like you're right, getting up and having some tea or a cup of water. I always like to use Headspace, which is a meditation app mm. uh, to kind of, yeah, get yeah. myself back in in the game and like the swing of things. Uh, so going forward, if there is an uncertainty, you think from a white person, and I saw someone post on social media yesterday, and it was um, a friend of mine who's a black activist, and I know you're an activist as well. And someone had reached out to her, I think it was a, a white mom and had said, how do I talk to my kids about activism and racism? And she kind of came at it from a different angle and was like very angry that someone had reached out and asked her that. What, what do you think about that? I mean, how can white people who are truly stupid and perhaps confused about this, myself included, I've learned so much and my sister's black. Like I'm angry that I think I should know more about this topic, but what advice would you have for parents and kids, young people who are confused and they want to know more, but they don't necessarily know who to reach out to. uh, And they feel concerned about reaching out to someone who's of color because they don't want to offend them. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think honestly, well, I understand where the activist was coming from in terms of it's kind of always historically been on the people who are being oppressed to teach um, the majority kind of why they're being oppressed and steps they can take. Um, And I think especially in this time, the last thing you want to do is burden further people who are already being burdened by such trauma and emotional stress. Um, So I think even myself, like it's my interest base, but additionally, just for my own education, like I didn't come out of the womb knowing about the civil rights movement. Um, and I definitely wasn't taught it, um, how it was supposed to be taught in high school. Um, so I think even black people educate ourselves about like civil rights and issues. And I think that honestly, this country would be so much better if everyone took the same kind of initiative in terms of, there are so many documentaries on Netflix that are one engaging, um, and just like cool to watch anyway, but two will help inform your knowledge base and kind of make you a better person in in general just in terms of like the 13th black power mixtape used to be on netflix um there's like a malcolm x documentary there's just so much out there especially in the day of youtube that i think honestly any question you have you can youtube it so i think a lot of things that tend to rub um minorities the wrong way when they're when a majority person is coming to them is just the fact that like typically like you can always google something so it also seems like um the easiest thing to do, right, might be texting someone you know, but that's putting an extra burden on them versus we have the internet. All the information you want is kind of on the internet, so it's probably better to at least look that up and then maybe as a last resort. Um, It also may be better if you're coming at it from a less, like, educate me, tell me what you do, more of a, hey, how are you doing? Like, I saw this. Like, is there anything I can do to personally support you versus making them educate you on the whole issue and kind of I think on Instagram, there's like a thousand posts of things you can do. Um, so I also think that's a very low barrier to entry in terms of helping. Yes. Let's talk about, um, wait, I just saw it here. The program that you started um, called, mm-hmm. why did I lose it in this bio? Mm-hmm. Um, Talented 10. Yes. Tell us about that because that is so cool. You helped write grants and for people of color. Uh, and, and how did you decide to start that? Because I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and she said as equally important as it is to vote, it's equally important for those who are in school to start clubs and protests 
uh, and, and, and acts. And you can do this while in high school if you're not of the legal age to vote. Right. Yeah. So um, I definitely came into MIT, like I said, wanting to get involved with activism. Um, once I arrived, I kind of realized that there weren't that many Black women there. Um, there's like 200, um, like less than 300 Black students in total across all four grade levels and less than half are women. Um, so it kind of seems like a small number, especially if you're going grade by grade. Um, so I kind of went around. Um, I'm also on a, an admissions committee. I'm really involved with the diversity offices. So I was kind of asking, hey, what's up with this trend in terms of Black women not coming to MIT? Um, and I got like pointed in a bunch of different directions. I was sent to like admissions. I was sent to like this office, this summer program office. And then I was like, oh, like everyone was sending me in a different direction. And then what I think I realized was in comparison to our main competitors in terms of like Harvard, Stanford, Yale, um, there are a lot of people who visited MIT didn't see that like black female community, right? Um, so it's kind of visit the chicken or the egg problem in terms of like, well, as long as we don't have that many black females there, it's just going to be harder to have community. And if you do have it, when the pre, when the um, admitted students come, do you have enough people to organize and truly set up an event that's able to display your community? Um, so I thought one thing that would be really helpful as well is the MIT admissions process is very complicated, but every black student at MIT went through that and was successful. So I was like, hey, this is a really simple thing we can do. We can be much more honest with the students than the admissions officer just because we'll be serving in an informal capacity. Why don't we create this program? We'll take an applicant, pick 10 girls from around the country. It'll be a simple 10 um, and then find 10 um, black mentors at MIT who are willing to walk them through the admissions process, answer any questions they have, and then help show how cool the black female community at MIT is. Um, so that's how my idea was. And then a grant opened. So I kind of, in the back of my mind, knew about this problem and had some initial ideas for a solution. Um, and then one of our offices of like the Black Alumni at MIT partnered to do this grant um, for a free time we have in January. Um, so then I wrote up a proposal and I won the grant. And then I applied for a couple other grants and then it kind of started from there. How easy is it for students to do that? Is there an intimidation surrounding it? I mean, did you face any backlash when you wanted to start that kind of program? And you went to a private high school, correct? Yeah. Because I went to a public one and there, and it was like in a, in a city with, with many, many kids and a lot of different races. Um, so I remember even when I was trying to start a club, it, it wasn't exactly uh, advised upon. But how did you find when you were trying to start one and maybe a more reformative school? Yeah. So the, what I just did was in college only. Um, but I started the boxing union in high school. Um, I think MIT is really good with grants. And I think you also find that more on a college level, more um, more money, just more things for students. I think there's also like national grants um, that are also available. In terms of high school, yeah, it would have been much harder um, to like get money. My school in particular was actually pretty hard to like start the Black Student Union just because they were like, hey, there's a bunch of other clubs. Like we really are trying to not encourage people to start new clubs. Can you just prove why you want this club? So I think a lot of things, just like everything in life is persist persistence. If you truly believe something can happen and you have a good reason for it and you keep on fighting, it should happen. Um, there are definitely barriers in people's way, but um, that's pretty much my mentality. Um, I think if I'm able to prove something, this is a pretty MIT answer, but if you have data to prove something should happen, it's pretty hard to argue with data. Um, so I think also in high school, I didn't really look at like grants 
from a like national external scale, but those are always there. Like there's lots of different organizations that offer grants to students. I know Khan Academy has this really cool scholarship where like you um, describe some like academic thing in a video and they give you money. Um, so there are definitely a lot of opportunities out there. Um, I'm sure a lot of schools don't have them, but if you look online, I'm sure there's places as well. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So let's wrap up the conversation by, I want to know what can people do who are our age, I'm 22, to help if they can't afford to donate right now, if they are scared because some of these protests have gotten violent, uh, some of the ones that I've seen. And I mean, that's a whole other thing, the violence surrounding some of these protests and the looting. I mean, do you have any personal feedback on that? Because I was at a protest yesterday and I was I was genuinely shocked at how it went from like peaceful protesting to all of a sudden there was guns and SWAT and the National Guard in LA. Oh my was, gosh. Like, I was not expecting that. Yeah. And honestly, the militarization of it all is just going to go up as the days move forward. Um, I think to me, one of the biggest takeaways that's important is that this isn't just a one week thing that should happen. This shouldn't be, oh, we have this racial conversations, everything on the news is about race for a week. And then a week later we all forget and we go back to like COVID or we just focus on other things that kind of um, haven't been plaguing our society for as long. Um, so I honestly, one thing, I was just on a call with someone and they were like, oh, is it awkward for you to check on your black friends? Maybe it's because you haven't checked on them regularly. Like I think part of it as well is like part of, feeling like you're othered and kind of excluded is like it's even worse like in black history month when you're the only black person in the class and everyone looks at you or like tries to like be nicer to you because something they're talking about something bad that happens versus like you all the time experiencing this hate and this badness like I think that it's important that people recognize that this isn't a new thing right like this isn't like oh my god police just started killing black people like this kind of been a since the beginning of our country, um, a pro since before the beginning of our country, this has been a systemic problem. So I think the best thing you can do is educate yourself and then make sure moving forward, you change your actions and you're able to spread the awareness. Um, I think donations are great. Attending protests are great. But like you mentioned, a lot of people don't have those resources, especially with COVID-19, if you live with someone is immunocompromised. Um, so I think the best thing you can do is educate yourself and also ideate solutions. Um, I know there's a bunch of things going around for um, COVID-19 in terms of who can come up with best solutions, little grants like that. Like maybe who's sitting around ideating about race, right? Like I think typically it's the racial minorities who are dealing with things. What if there was, if everyone was ideating about race, I think our country would be in a way better place. So I think it's honestly just being intentional about thinking about race when things aren't happening when it's not on the news is really important. Yeah, uh, I, I hope that this doesn't end. The part of me, you know, I think everyone wants COVID and whatnot, that part to end, but I'm, I am nervous that in a week from now, this will all die down and the protests will end and then it will just go back to how it is. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I, and I wonder how that can be changed. And I think that by young people getting out and voting, and really trying to make a stand and not just letting this die down. Because this, in my opinion, this also goes deeper than just Black Lives Matter. This is now about racial injustice. This is about the cops and the funding and the president. Uh, and the main stance of this stemmed from Black Lives Matter. But there's so many severe issues happening in our government and in these, in these police departments and stuff that, uh, that 
need to be discussed and, and helped and like uh, talked about too. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Cause I was Definitely. talking to a friend of mine yesterday about that, uh, about how even if you're white and you can't relate to the whole black lives matter movement, you might be able to relate to the government or the injustices that cops do on a daily basis. And I just really hope that this doesn't, this doesn't end here, that this, message just continues on. So Danielle, what is your end goal? Like you have such an incredible resume. So what do you want to see yourself doing over the next five or 10 years? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, from the student government perspective, I'm really excited to um, kind of work with other student government leaders. I think we're at a really um, good time in terms of having a lot of black student government presidents. Um, the Yale pre- student government president is currently black. Um, the Stanford president is a black female. The Brown president is black. Um, so it's kind of nice to be surrounded by your peers. So I think there'll definitely be a collab um, coming soon in terms of just um, Title IX issues, race relations, or even COVID-19. Um, so I think that's something exciting coming forward. I do also hope to just um, like Talented 10, we were able to do 10 people this year, but hopefully that program is able to expand and we can help more people. Um, I also think just in terms of being the president of the student body at MIT, I hope to make lasting changes that will make MIT better for um, people coming in later. I personally want to go to law school, um, so I want to be a patent lawyer. So hopefully when I graduate in 2022, um, I'll be going to law school to pursue that. Oh my gosh, that is, I'm so jealous because I could not even pass <laughs> math class. So the fact that you are good at everything that I'm not, like I'm intimidated and I'm, I'm just incredibly, I'm incredibly <laughs> impressed. Uh, and, I, and I applaud you and I hope that you continue on this path and you use the platform that you have uh, and everything to your advantage because the world is your oyster. Where can everyone find you on social media or learn more about how to get involved with anything that you're doing? Yeah. Um, so my social media is danielle.g underscore and then our student government account, which is slowly um, becoming more popular um, and trying to kind of change our user interface. Um, that's um, UA underscore MIT. So yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. To everyone who is listening, this is just the beginning of these ongoing conversations I want to have with young activists and activists of color. And I have done this for so long on my platforms and through my summit program. But now is the time where I really want to kind of get into the nitty gritty of how you guys can equally use your voices and get out there and make change in the world. So I plan to continue to only post on social media relating to this topic of conversation uh, up until I think that, uh, you know, I feel comfortable posting something else. I don't know when that will be, but right now this needs to be talked about and I hope that I can use my platform to do that. So after every episode, including Danielle's, you can head to lifeunfilteredwithalexa.com to find more resources, how to get involved with Black Lives Matter, uh, as well as more about the guests too. And I look forward to seeing you guys back next week for a new episode on the podcast. Bye guys.